Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is George Cooper and what a show we have in store for you today. Now, it certainly wasn't a classic, but Fulham put in a steely and determined performance against an in-form hole to progress to the fourth round of the FA Cup. That's now four straight wins since the return of domestic football after the World Cup. And with a number of Premier League FA Cup casualties, Premier League safety within touching distance, an ever-increasing feel-good factor around the club this season, and a relatively kind draw against Sunderland in the fourth round. Could this be the year we go on that long-awaited cup run? Coming up on the pod today, we'll analyse Fulham's taming of the Tigers, answer some of your questions, and look ahead to Fulham's clash against Chelsea on Thursday. I can't remember the last time I was this excited for a game. I really can't. With me today to chew the fat is Mr. Farrell Monk. How are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you, George. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm good. I'm pleased with that result yesterday. It, was, it wasn't the most exciting game, um, but, you know, not many better ways you can spend a, a grey Saturday afternoon in January than uh, watching Fulham progress to the fourth round. And live from Canada, it's Mr. Ben Jarman. How are you doing, mate? It's great to see you. Hello, mate. It's nice to see you too. I'm doing very well, thank you. It's it's actually a grey morning here in Vancouver. I'm hoping that uh, when once we go above the clouds, it will clear up a little bit. I'm going snowshoeing later, so it should be quite fun. What is what does snowshoeing entail? Snowshoeing is basically going for a hike, but there's snow everywhere. So it's you know um, when you see on the TV, the uh, like on the cartoons, they sometimes put tennis rackets on their feet and walk through the snow. Yeah, it's- that's essentially that's essentially what I'm doing this afternoon. I've only ever seen that on the Mr. Plow episode of The Simpsons. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is that just you going to the shops? Essentially, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. And on his pod debut, my little brother Fred Cooper. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. I'm doing all right, thank you. Uh, how are you, chaps, doing? I feel like you've been part of the yeah. Fulhamish sort of like circle for such a long time. It feels like yeah, you should, yeah. like you must have been on already. No, well, I did a few um, full times. Do you remember the lockdown season? I think I did Arsenal and Man United. You remember after full, what, was it like straight after the game reaction? But no podcast. This is the first one, so. Double act. He's he's been he was going to shadow this this pod, and then uh, we thought, no, nah, why not? Why not come on, get involved, Fred? So so here he is. Anyway, so Farrell, I believe you've got some three word reviews for us. Would you mind kicking things off, please? I would absolutely love to. Considering the game wasn't exactly an absolute barnstormer, quite a lot of people were doing uh, some Hull and Dull references. Our very own Ben Jarman, who's in the room right now, did a Huller's Dishwater classic. We probably did that two or three times in the championship seasons through the years um <laughs> a few a few other some really really good ones um ross mcsweeney with sorry not seri which i think a lot of fulham fans were actually really disappointed that jean michel was not was not uh featuring yesterday andre Bas- basile sorry if i'm absolutely murdering that curse your enthusiasm 
Uh, and I'll finish off with Connor Brody's uh, Don't Stop Believing, uh, which is a brilliant one. I think people have been probably waiting for a, a um, Levin Kasawa pun to come in. And I think that's absolutely absolutely smashed it out of the park there with the first opportunity well done there's a lot of there's a lot to play with with that name isn't there so I think people were licking their lips as soon as they saw him uh, get on the team or get on the score sheet now Jams here in the UK it was a pretty tricky game to get hold of I had to jump through many IT hoops messing about with dodgy streams watching the game was like cracking the Da Vinci code did you manage to get hold of it easily from Canada yeah I did because we have um Sportsnet over here, which is basically where all the hockey lives and it's where the FA Cup games live. So I had no issues. The only issue I had was waking up at 7am to watch that. It was a, <laughs> a pretty, pretty, pretty early wake up to watch something from the KCOM stadium. Uh, I think if it's still, even still called the KCOM, I have no idea. But yeah, I woke, woke up to watch that on Sportsnet, the home of hockey. And yeah, it was, um, it was a tough game to watch at times. I think in the first half, we were a lot better than we were second half. Second half was just kind of like a a kind of optimism that we knew Hull wouldn't get back into the game. And when they actually decided to, two minutes from the end of time, we just went up the other end and scored anyway. But yeah, it, was, it wasn't too bad, actually, to try and get hold of that game. It was uh, seven changes for Fulham. You know, we had Rodak, Kazawa, Diop, Kenny, James, Vinicius and Wilson in. How do you think the new additions fared? Um, it wasn't pretty, but we ground out the result. And um, surely we got to take this as testament to our strength and depth. Jams. I think whenever you get seven changes in, in the team, it's always very difficult for them to click as as they would if you had an unchanged team. And I think we had the unchanged team for three consecutive games in the run-up to this. Um, you also get people that haven't played for a while that need to get back up to match speed. So like Vinicius, I think there was a chance in the first half where it falls to him in the box and he's 12 yards out. And instead of just swiveling and hitting it like you would expect Mitro to do, he just lays it back to Andreas Pereira. Um, I think um, good to see the... The minutes getting into the legs of Dan James, uh, Kazawa, uh, and the others. Nice to see Rodak back as well. I've kind of missed Rodak. And actually, going back to a point, I was listening to the um, Leicester podcast, and Jack and Sammy and Peter were talking about how harsh we thought it was that Rodak was dropped for Leno almost immediately. And there was a part of me at the time that was like, yeah, that was really, really harsh on him. He got us back up as champions, had a pretty stellar season and then was completely dropped for Leno but now completely makes sense but yeah absolutely nice to see Rodak back in the in the fray yeah he did a good job you know clean sheet no complaints there Farrell our opener 27 minutes in some great build up play from Vinicius clever little ball from Kearney to Wilson out on the right his defender was not by his side deflected or parried shot Kazawa with a tap in. Now, considering it was an open goal, it was quite a daring finish to go back across the face of goal. <laughs> well, am I the only one thinking, what are you doing, man? Like, you've got the whole goal in front of you. Why are you putting it in, like, the red post and in? He's clipped it in off the post. <laughs> He's clipped it in off the post. He had the whole goal to aim at. I think if the keeper was actually in the goal, it would have been a really good finish, to be honest. Uh, the They would have had a tough time trying to keep that one out, but... Yeah, I think it was probably just him thinking to himself, right, I just need to get this one on target and completely squiffs it towards the inside of the post. Um, <laughs> he did his word. best to miss it. But, you know, like it, it, was his it was a left back in his first appearance for Fulham since, I want to say, the Newcastle game when he started that one. You know, there's a good three or four months since his, since his, uh, since his last game for Fulham. So, like, he's probably thinking to himself, like, 
I can't believe this chance has fallen to me. Just get this bloody thing uh, in the goal. And it, thankfully it did. And it's actually, to be honest, it's it's actually got strikers, strikers sort of like instinctiveness about it. Like he was moving towards the goal before even Harry Wilson actually starts hitting that ball. Like that is actually really, really good instinct there. And, you know, he gets he gets his reward for it, for it older. Glavin Kasawa. Freddie, Silva retained only four of the starting 11 from the win at Leicester. Ex-Fulham, he's not really a Fulham legend, but ex-Fulham player, um, Liam Racina, made nine changes to the whole side that beat Wigan 4-1. Anyway, Fred, do you think that these changes were an indication from both managers that maybe the FA Cup isn't the biggest priority this year? I don't think it's we changed the team because we don't want to be in the FA Cup. I think it's because... Other players get rotated. Like it's good, for, as you said, Rodak's back in. Kenny got a start as well. Like I love seeing Kenny off the bench in the Premier League games. Like Southampton, he changed the game in my opinion when he came on and got us that played his part in that vital vital comeback. But um, yeah, I just I think it, I think it was great to see players that we haven't really seen start like James as well. I mean, he's been under a bit of criticism when he comes off the bench in the Prem games. But he got a goal. That's good for his confidence. Kazara as well. He didn't have the best game against Newcastle back in October when he played. But he's also got on the score sheet. Um, I think I just think it's really good to get players who don't start in the Premier League because I think now we've got uh, eleven that we Silver knows his best team in the Premier League. We've got an eleven that we know we're going to start every week. And I think we got Chelsea on. We got Chelsea on Thursday, and we've got to play our first team for that. Obviously, it's going to be a bit disappointing. Mitrovic is suspended for that. But um, by playing Vinicius on Saturday, hopefully he's got he's got full fitness for Thursday. Because I'm guessing he will play up top or either Bobby Reed. But we'll see on. Yeah, we'll see before the game. We'll uh, come on to the Chelsea game shortly. But just quickly, Fred, do you think that we'll see a stronger side against Sunderland in the fourth round on the 28th? Relatively, yeah. I, I think I think we'll have a stronger side, but I don't mean it's going to be like starting. I don't mean it's going to be our strongest team. I think we'll have probably. Mitrovic might play possibly. Um, I think we'll have a stronger team than than yesterday, but I think we'll also try and rest players for the next game in the Prem after that. Farrell, Fulham won the game, didn't play particularly well. There were some big mistakes from our backline early. I, I'm still not convinced of the pairing of Diop and Tossin. Uh, once again, looking a little shaky at times and unsure. We didn't play that well against Southampton and we didn't set the world alight against Leicester, although of course we did really dig deep and it was a very good defensive performance. I'm just curious because I've seen a bit of discourse on this on Twitter. Do you view the fact that we're still winning when not playing well as a huge positive? It's the oldest football cliche in the book. Or are you a little concerned that the grueling fixture list is starting to catch up with us and feel like our luck will eventually run out? How do you view it? I think there's a multitude of things here. Um, It is funny that you're saying they were actually winning games where we weren't playing that well. And obviously there are so many comparisons to a couple of years ago uh, when we were in the Premier League. And actually for a large periods of the for that season, yes, it wasn't the most exciting football, but we were very, very competitive and came away thinking we probably should have won that game and actually came away with zero points. So it's actually quite pleasing that when we're not playing well, we're actually picking up points. But obviously it's from it's a worry that the performances haven't been as strong. But if you actually look at those individual games, like Southampton, 
yes, we didn't play particularly well and Southampton played okay at best, but we were still the better side, better team. We, we would have been okay coming away with the draw, but yes, we were the better team and, you know, we got, we got the points. Leicester was a different story. They came up against, they came up against Burnt Leno in inspired form. Um, they would have been really disappointed with not coming away with at least a point. But obviously, Fulham were absolutely delighted that we came away with three points. Yesterday, I think it was a different thing. Like, you've got to throw everything out of the water in terms of form. It is a cup competition. There was changes for, like, on both teams. You know, more than half the team on both sides were changed. It is just one of those games where it's a bit of a lottery. But the quality showed overall from Fulham that were they, they were able to come away with the win and progress to the next round. Saying that, it was a bit of a worry that quite actually a lot of those teams, you would expect them to perform at a level that was expected a bit more of them. I feel like, especially in the first half, the only person that was actually showing their quality was Tom Kearney, as we've said quite a lot of this season so far. Um, Yet, I feel like a lot of those players who haven't had a lot of game time so far, really grew into the game. Kozawa in particular, I thought, grew into the game quite massively. Uh, I also thought Harry Wilson grew into the game quite a lot. I also think Dan James had, like, he had a really poor first half, but second half really grew into the game a bit more and probably was the reason why he wasn't subbed into the game, uh, subbed out of the game uh, when others were as well. And that's, you know, I think that's probably just good game management from from Marco Silva to recognise that and keep him on the pitch when other people might have pulled him off. I mean, myself included. I remember text. I text friends yesterday when watching the game. I thought, oh, I wish that Dan James was subbed off already. And actually, that was the wrong decision because he ended up, you know, doing quite well and got his got a reward for a goal. He did indeed. He did indeed. We'll come on to that. Jams, overall, the quality of the football wasn't great. I think we all agreed on that. But it kind of sparked to life at the death after Hull brought on a few attacking subs. Uh, then a great toasting clearance put Dan James through with his roadrunner pace to tap into an open goal because Ingram had gone up for a corner. Did you, like me, want DJ to get on all fours and tap it in with his head like you used to do when you were at school and you were trying to piss your mates off? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Of course, it goes without saying. I'd love to have seen him done that. <laughs> what did you make of his overall performance yesterday? I think he was. I think he was in and out, to be honest with you. And I think that, that as Farrell said, his second half is much better than his first. I think he looked a little bit timid at times. And I think this is this is the, my issue with Dan James is that he is super quick. Everyone knows he has Olympic level pace. I think we keep seeing that all over the media, but. I think it's very easy to utilize him and just like sling balls over the top and hope he hopes he does something with that. I think you'd like to see the technical side of his game played up to a little bit more. And I think that in those tighter spaces, he could do a little bit better. Um, I remember I did the player ratings for Southampton at home. I gave him a five out of 10 for that sub performance. I think that was mainly based on his use of the ball. He didn't connect with any passes, really. He ran the ball out of play twice. Um, and when he did get in behind, he didn't really have too much end product. I think today was largely the same in that he was in and out. But I think in, in the second half, as Farrell said, he grew into the game. He started to make runs in behind. He was starting to really probe that defence. And at the end, he got his goal. It was great, great, great persistence for him to uh, prey on the loose touch of the defender. Everyone 
knows that when you send a goalkeeper up, there's significant risk. And the the player that was back there um, had a touch that you would see in Sunday League football and Dan James preyed on it. And, yeah. and rightly so. And it shows great initiative from him. So for that, I definitely give him credit. <clears throat> I just, on, on your point of the earlier question about the quality of football, I think you're spot on. It wasn't good. But there was one person that was good and that was Tom Kearney. And I think it, you know... He doesn't need too much analysis, but Tom is growing into into his role in this Fulham squad like a fine wine. He's getting better and more quality on the ball every single season. You know, he's not the same player that we saw in 16-17, gliding around the pitch, dictating going sing- single-handedly. What he is now is someone that can slow a game down, pick a quality pass, take the pressure off Fulham like a true captain should. And I think we've spoken on the podcast many times, is Tom the right person to captain this squad? You think someone is perceivably as young as Tom is um, and the player that he is we came to a conclusion a few times that he might not be the right guy but actually the more I'm watching him now this season the role he's had to play being accepting being a substitute and then coming on and still giving his all Tom is absolutely the right person to lead this squad and this team and yeah such a great player and I think probably my favourite ever Fulham player I think he's so good as a substitute against the bottom half teams in the Prem because he can come at Bournemouth in October, he, he like proved that he completely. We were so much more attacking minded when he came on after that. Southampton as well, as I said earlier. I just think he's such a good alternative if the game kind of grinds to a halt in the second half against the teams that we're going to try and battle relegation. But we say that, and we're the seventh. Yeah. So I think he's such a good um, asset to have off the bench oh, totally. right now. And his performance against, against Manchester United was class as well. Like, obviously, we've talked about Tom, Tom Kearney so much over the years. But when you, like, when you actually watch him play, he's one of the few players, I feel like, in this team that every pass he plays that is a key pass is always played to absolute perfection. Like, it's always played into, into space where the player can actually run onto and actually do something from it. And that's on purpose, and that shows the quality that he has. Yeah, I mean... He's testimonial territory, a real, real sort of club hero. And I, I too, Jams, you, you talk about the debate about whether he was the right person or not to captain the side. I was very sceptical and at times felt like there were better options within our squad. But he's really, really winning me over. I think, you know, we're very lucky, lucky to have him at our club. He's been, he's been brilliant this season. He really has. Fred, so Jam's st- uh, standout performer was um, Kenny. Does anyone spring to mind for you? Well, I'm looking at um, ratings off footage off Footmob, but um, I'm, I think Kazawa got man the match purely because of the goal. But I just think our back our back four with Reed at right back and Diop and Adarabio to other two together. I think they were solid. Complete. I mean, they're they're in a battle between each other. Who's going to um, partner Reem in the prem? So I think it was nice to see both of them kind of sound and fair. I think all season we've been worried about, oh, maybe our defence has got a mistake in him. Maybe Diop's got a mistake in him. Maybe Adarabio's got a mistake in him. So far, both of them have, both of them have been okay for us. I mean, I mean, Diop has got the nod over the last few games. Mind you, Adarabio did start against Leicester and he was solid. We kept a clean sheet. Obviously, Leno had a stellar performance there. But um, yeah, I just think our back four was convincing all the way through the game. And it is an FA Cup game. It's just a run out for players that aren't going like, to start every game. And I thought we were right once we settled down. I think it was a very shaky start. But yeah, we really did grow into the game. 
Farrell, Elizabeth Barnard, friends of the pod, asks, what on earth have Fulham done to get Kazawa 121 minutes in a Fulham shirt tapping the badge when he scored? <laughs> <laughs> it was quite, it was beautiful that's a, that's to a see. Great shout. We had the um, Kazawa tapping the badge. Also, Dan James, I thought, did a very funny celebration with the knee slide salute combo, which I haven't seen since uh, the early noughties, really. Uh, which, which was the pick of the celebrations for you? I mean, it, look, it, it looked like Levin was, he was a bit shocked that he scored a goal to start off with. And I was like, oh, I better celebrate. I don't know. Like, <laughs> when, when have we ever seen sort of like legendary celebrations from, from Fulham players down the years? The, the, the couple that spring to mind are like the Booba Diop ones down by the corner flag the like just really sort of like out there ones I, i'll always remember the boa morte one where he like ran like 70 yards and scored against blackburn at home and then did the whole sort of dog crawl down by the uh, corner flag and then simulated a piss next to it <laughs> that was that's a classic one um you don't get like rogue ones like that anymore really but it would be good to actually see one time now that we have boa morte back on the touchline at fulham score a goal and he runs down and emulates that from a, in a game do you remember Sava who had the mask yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember that was one of my he did like was that a celebration or was that like a I've broken my nose mask I think he I think he took it out didn't he it was like a Zorro yeah. thing he had it in his sock and apparently that was like <laughs> that was his trademark back in Argentina but um I was doing I was doing some research for uh a, the 20th anniversary of the Intertoto Cup run and he scored in that in that run and I didn't know I thought his first goal for Fulham was that I think it was home to Charlton when he brought out the Zorro mask but obviously he thought the Intertoto Cup wasn't big enough to reveal his Zorro mask celebration strangely now listen no man is bigger than the Intertoto Cup Charms is this the year we mount the cup run I was thinking beforehand right hear me out hear me out okay so Fulham we're edging closer to safety I don't want to count my chickens obviously playing very well there's a real good vibe about the club this year. Favourable draw against Sunderland. I'm not saying it's an easy uh, game by any stretch. You know, they're currently eighth in the championship. We're currently 33-1 to 1 with the bookies to win the FA Cup. There's been a load of Premier League casualties. I'm looking at the um, their fourth round draw. So Manchester City or Chelsea are, will play Oxford or Arsenal. It will be Manchester City now because they're, they're currently getting um, hammered by... Uh, Chelsea are getting hammered by Man City. So it will be... Yeah, so there, there are some big names that are guaranteed to go out. I mean, what is it? Is it too soon to be getting excited? Like, I would love to see us go to a cup run. I'd love to love to see us at Wembley. And if we got to Wembley, I'd actually probably fly back to watch the FA Cup live at you know at Wembley. But like looking at the draw, there's a few Premier League teams that have been drawn against each other. So like you have Brighton versus Liverpool and Wolves. You have City now versus what is likely to be Arsenal. Um, as we're talking, Aston Villa have just been dumped out by Stevenage. So, like the path is opening up. I don't, yeah, I, I, I can't counter what you've said. Like Southampton, uh, Sunderland at home is is a tough draw. They're eighth in the Championship. They're riding quite high. They've got a squad that has some great talent in there. You know, like Ahmad Diallo from United is having a great season for them. Um, they did have a striker on loan from a Premier League club, but he's just been recalled. I think he was on loan from Everton, and he went back last week. But Sunderland is never an easy game for Fulham. Um, 
her memory. Yeah. We've we never dispatched them with a huge amount of grace. I think there was that the one time in the Premier League where Fulham desperately needed to beat Sunderland. We were both at the bottom end of the table, and I think Sunderland ended up beating us four four one or four nil, something like that. Fulham just need to to dump Sunderland out and and go ahead and make a good run of it of things. I mean, for my own personal like happiness, I'd love that because Sunderland actually one of like two or three teams in the whole world that I despise, and I can't put I can't put my <laughs> finger on why that is. I think it's mainly because they used to used to sign players for like 15, 20 million like Darren Bent go through like three managers a season and then somehow with four games left pull out this relegation escape like the greatest of great escapes even better than our great escape I remember I think one one year they had De Canio and they they went to like the time where Derby and somehow managed to pull out an exceptional win and then went four unbeaten and somehow stayed up by like a point it's like fuck's sake just like can you go over there and just die somewhere else so yeah I'm um um, yeah, I'd love us to put one past Sunderland. Anyway, so I, I'm starting to get a little bit excited. I'll be at the game on the 28th, I think. I've, I've um, a load of mates of mine are from Sunderland, Sunderland fans, so I'll make a bit of a day of it. But yeah, I think once once we get that game under our belt, then it's time to get excited. I, I love the draw. I like. I think that the FA Cup, um, there's all this sort of chat about whether it gets the respect that it deserves in the, in the modern game. Um, I love it. I really do. Farrell, what were you going to say? Well, like, I don't want to taper those that exciting moments about it, but, like, it does feel like with that nice home draw uh, against, admittedly, a championship team, although they are doing quite, they're doing fairly well as far as I can see from just looking at the table briefly. Um, with, when this was my amazing Saturday night uh, coming up. You can't wait to hear this. Because um, I saw that quite a few Premier League teams went out. I was thinking to myself while talk, while texting some friends that, ah, oh, is this like a lot of like Premier League teams, like more than would be out at this stage? And actually, it's remarkably average for this for this stage of the tournament. Um, so it, so when I was looking at it last night, there I think six teams had already been dumped out the third round, and I was looking back, and actually. Last year it was six teams, the year before that five teams, the year before that six teams. So it was actually weirdly just the amount, like literally the same. But with Villa going out right now, maybe Oxford will be Arsenal, and actually it's quite a lot. And there's actually quite a few all Premier League ties coming up. It could be quite a favourable draw coming up, really. Uh, you know, you're at the fifth round stage. Fulham ha- don't haven't been to the fifth round in quite some time, really, as far as I can remember off the top of my head. You know, another favourable draw there. Then we're in the quarterfinals. The last time I remember Fulham getting to the quarterfinals was in 2010, which surprisingly was also the was also the year that we were very comfortable in the league and decided to give another cup competition known as the Europa League a, a nice little run. I actually looked at back at that 2010 when we just after the um when we that third round, we'd actually we've got more points this time around at this stage of the season than we were in that in that year. So maybe Marco Silva go like, "Hey, let's give it a go." Let's go. Maybe we'll see St- <laughs> Stefano Akakachaka uh, at striker instead of Vinicius. Oh yes. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Those are the days, man. Memory lane. Right, let's leave it there. Don't go anywhere though, because we'll be right back with some of your listener questions. You ready? Showtime. 
On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back. Coop's here and I'm joined by Ben Jarman, Frau Monk and Freddie Cooper. Thank you to everyone who has gotten in touch with us. We've got some fantastic questions in. Jarman's are going to throw this one to you. James Wilson asks, how aggressive should we be in the transfer market? While we know that we're thin in a few positions, what we have right now is working. How much risk would there be in disrupting the squad if we sign more than a player or two? What should take? I think we should definitely be aggressive but not aggressive in going out and spending huge amounts of money on players that don't necessarily work for the squad. I think there have been a few Premier League teams over the past few years that have got to January in a decent shape, gone out and spent lots and really upset the apple cart with players that come in and huge fees, huge wages and uh, don't necessarily fit what that team is trying to do. I think Fulham need to be aggressive to go out there because there are definitely positions of need. You look in midfield, we're, we're paper thin. You you have Andreas, Reed, and Kearney that have played over a thousand minutes more than anyone else in the, in the squad, um, especially in midfield level. So you have like Palinia, Reed, Kearney, um, and Andreas have all played roughly about 1,300 minutes this season. After that, you have Chalabar with 10, and you have one more player, Onoma, on like 15. There is a huge gap there that needs to be filled. We need more depth in, in midfield and therefore we need to enter the market and go out there and, and, and secure one, if not two bodies. A lot of chat in the media about Decore, not necessarily convinced that he's the right person for that role, especially given that his wages are upwards of 120 grand a week. Not sure how we managed to secure that, but Everton clearly a bit naive when they got all that money first time around. But yeah, I think there are definitely areas of need. Would like to go out there and, and maybe see if we can get another left back. I'm not necessarily sure that Kazawa has the um, like the conditioning to last the season, to be honest. Um, and I also think at right back, we might need one as well because Tete seems to come in for about seven or eight games, get injured for, for six or seven, and then come back in again. And and like that's a problem if you have Bobby Reid dep- deputising in at right back. Um, I like Bobby Reed in all the attacking positions. He's a Swiss Army knife. He can operate at right back, but it just makes you feel a little bit more comfortable if you have an orthodox right back in there. I would have to agree. Fred? Yeah, with the right back situation, there was a lot of talk about Cedric, the um, Arsenal right back coming in potentially. I haven't really heard much since that kind of news story broke, but I did see on Twitter uh, earlier this afternoon with Max Ahrens from Norwich, the right back. I think that would be quite a safe and decent addition just for a little bit of backup for Teddy. I think he's a solid right back. Uh, he's, he, I think he's captain of Norwich or something. He's, yeah, uh, he's, he, he plays literally every minute for Norwich. I mean, I know they're not exactly flying at the moment, but he's played in the Prem countless of times, obviously them going up and then going down. But championships, he, championship is absolutely solid as well. So I'd quite like to see Aaron's come in just a little safe. And um, yeah, just give give Tete a bit of bit of backup if he does fall injured or he's suspended, so we don't need to play Deckard over Reed as right back, as John said. 
Farrell, Justin Miller asks, if the opportunity were available to get Carvalho back on loan for the remainder of the season, should we do it? He's not been playing for Liverpool. He's been warming the bench. I mean, it'd be pretty hard to say no, right? Oh, of course. Um, I think I was speaking to a Liverpool uh, fan earlier who I play football with. I'm talking about Carvalho a little bit and just just the general sort of like vibe that's going on around Liverpool and the fact that you know, they're very, very happy with their attacking options. They're very, very happy with their defensive options. They're they're feeling they're just a bit light and tired in midfield when they have such a live wire, a tenacious young player in Fabio Carvalho on the bench, not getting as many minutes as, you know, we as Fulham fans thought he probably deserves. Uh, but saying that, he probably doesn't necessarily fit into their style and the system that they have so far. Or they don't really have that position available to him because we know that he plays in sort of like that attacking mid or that sort of like left-sided left-sided attacking mid option that Liverpool don't really play because they kind of play with the a more sort of three flat midfield with maybe one more sitting and then with two wide forwards uh whether it's Salah on one side or uh when he's fit Diaz or when he's fit you know Diogo Schotter or uh they've brought in Cody Gak- uh, Gakpo they're they're all different players from what Carvalho is at the moment we know that Carvalho can develop into that sort of player whether Liverpool think that they probably want to keep him within the squad to develop into one of those sort of whether he plays on the left or whether he plays on the right or he plays a more a deeper role, I, I don't know. But that does mean that they're not probably open to loaning him out to what is effectively, do I dare say it, a direct league rival in Fulham. Hey, you love to hear it. You really do. It's still tied on points with Liverpool right now. Let's not Mad. forget. Mad. Love it. Scenes. Absolute scenes. Jams, Terry Wildman asks... We don't talk about Harry. Do we think he reached the limit of his abilities in the championship or is there something else holding him back? He just doesn't look the same player. And whilst that often happens after an injury, it's usually his pace that suffers. I'm I'm going to jump in here because I think that he hasn't reached the peak of his abilities in the championship. I do think that there's a Premier League player there and he just needs a little bit of time to get that match sharpness and get back on the pace. He, he didn't quite look um, fully at the races in when he featured in the World Cup and he's just, with pacey players, they, they tend to take a little bit more time to, to get that full sharpness back. Um, but I just want curious as to what your take is. Yeah, I think it largely mirrors what you've said. He's, he's come back after a lengthy injury and I think there must be an element of him rushing back early to try and get in that Wales squad for the World Cup. It's something, you know, Wales haven't been at a World Cup for donkey's years. So, Do you want to hear a fun stat? The last time Wales were in the World Cup was prior to the invention of the duvet. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Obviously, not including this last one, but I just love that that stat. That's that's amazing. I've never... I never knew the duvet it was so modern. How were people sleeping beforehand? Just, so just with sheets, I guess. Under cardboard boxes. Um, but yeah, I think there's an element to, to Harry rushing back for the World Cup. And, you know, when a player rushes back, it always takes them longer to get to 100% afterwards. I think with Harry, he is someone that's probably 
and we've seen it before with his loan spells. He was on loan at Bournemouth when they were in the Premier League, and he he was actually their top um, assist getter, I think, and one of their most potent um, attacking outlets. He's just been unlucky that he he suffered quite a big injury right as the end at the end of uh, training camp before the start of the season. And yeah, it's taking him a while to get back up to speed. I think that there also is context, like context contextually, there are other players in this squad that have just taken taken his baton and ran with it. You know, the likes of Willian have come in and been great. Bobby Deckard over Reed has had a, a good start to the season. Cabano was insane. I don't know where that came from. And then you had the likes of Manuel Solomon returning now as well. So it's going to be a tough ask for Harry, but I'm confident with his technical ability, the the, the actual quality he possesses at set pieces and you know how heavily we rely on set pieces right now is going to be huge for us so I, I can see Harry coming back and, and having a big part to play in the second half of the season once he's up to speed yeah on this point Farrell Hugo asks what is our best front three right now Mitch Fitch and William of course I think we can agree but that right wing spot is a bit of an issue Bobby isn't an out and out Premier League level winger Wilson isn't the racers at the moment and now Solomon back fit. Who starts? I think it is, uh, that is a good question because we have seen it rotated a little bit, you know, especially when you've got, you know, William absolutely bossing it on one side. Uh, when we probably expected Cabano to hold down that left wing spot uh, pretty much as long as he was fit for. On the right hand side, it's a bit more of a tricky question. Yeah, I do agree with what everyone was saying about Harry Wilson. He is still coming back into it. And I do really want him to do, to do well. He does need that little bit of confidence. You know, maybe the fact that the goal yesterday came from, you know, his little neat play, shifting it onto his left foot and having a crack from uh, just, outside, or just outside the box to create the goal might help a little bit. But, you know, it's nice the fact that we're now seeing Manor Solomon getting a few minutes yes, uh, yesterday. And even in those 10, 15 minutes that he got, you can see what quality he has on the ball. Pretty much, you know, three of the four times he managed to have a little run down the right-hand side, he did something from it. Whether, you know, just taking on his opposition number, driving into a good amount of space. You know, he just seems to have that little bit of extra quality from the wing play that really, really helped us drive the ball forward and get that ball away from from our goal. The way that William does it, the way that Anthony Robinson does it, the way that the Fulham, you know, like to get the ball up up the pitch and to, away from our box towards their area and put, and put them under pressure. I think hopefully, if we can get more and more minutes under Mano Solomon, we can see more of that. And I think I've seen... I don't want to say I've seen enough of him to say that he's got the quality to hold down that right wing, but a lot of what I've seen already, even in those small amount of minutes, has given me a lot of promise to say that he could do it. Yeah, very exciting prospect. It was great to see him on the field on Saturday. And it feels like we've made a new signing. I mean, I know he is a new signing, but you know what I mean? Just to have that new you know, excitement, like, oh, let's see what this, see what this lad's capable of. Jams, Mizzy asks, how much do I need to save up for the European Tour next season? Quite a lot of money, I'd say. We're probably going to end up in the far-flung regions of like Belarus and, you know... Yeah, the four, the Iron Curtain. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to... You know, like I, what I'd say is that you need to ask all your family and friends in the run-up to this for vouchers for the likes of Ryanair, Aer Lingus, all those bad boys. Um you know, just to, just to help with when you need to book a flight to like Norway and 
Cyprus, Moldova, that sort of sort of stuff. So yeah, maybe like a Wizz Air season ticket would be great for you as well. Yeah, get on the phone to Don Betts. He'll be able to um, maybe can loan you some loyalty points. Yeah. Are you going to put, do an invitation to get the Whitecaps into into Europa Conference League? They're actually over in in Spain in like a few months' time. They they have a preseason friendly with Hamburg. Weirdly, that is weird. So they they are over there. If anyone wants to go out and watch the caps, weekend weekend down the Reaper Barn. Yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to go out and watch the caps, like they're not great. Um, I would say like their be- their best player is Ryan Gould, if you can remember him from like seasons past. He went from Dundee United to um, uh, Sporting in Portugal, and then was like their was meant to be like one of the world's greatest wonder kids, and never actually made it. But for the Whitecaps, he's head and shoulders their best player. Um, and it's class to watch him day in day out, but the but the quality of football is not amazing. But it is it is fun in the crowd because they love it. Uh, when I I'm hoping to come out and visit you this year, James. We'll have to mm. we'll have to go go to a match. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. We will. Also, can you take me to that bar where they serve a pint of Bloody Mary with a burger on a cocktail stick and a big pickle as well? I I just oh, of can't course. get it out of my head. I, I want it it's so class. Well, what's, it, what's it called? It's, it's, it's essentially a Bloody right. Mary, but instead of tomato juice, they have something called Clamato, which is a mixture of clam and tomato juice. And they use that instead. Sammy's thinking of coming out in like February, March time, and I'm definitely going to introduce him to the Caesar. Sounds unbelievable. Farrell, Marco Silver's Magic asks, when are you arranging a Hammy and Tifo? <laughs> um, we should uh, start accepting designs for that Tifo. We should so do like I think a competition. That, you know, I'm going to, yeah, I think we should actually ask people for submissions to design <laughs> design a Fulham Tifo of of Marco Silva. Uh, but like, obviously, Marco Silva front and center. Do you think it would be Marco? Or yeah, Mich- with like you know Mitrovic and all the sort of like nice memories around the outside. Maybe we should ask Marco Silva like, what's it? What's his favorite things? Maybe he'd be like, oh, I really love a a bloody Caesar, and then we can have like a Caesar. Uh, in the bottom corner as well with a burger <laughs> attached to it or something. On the, I mean, it's, it's mainly a continental thing, isn't it, Tifos? You don't generally see them in the domestic leagues as much. Normally, what is what are the occasions that warrant Tifos generally? Is it like a like a league type win, a no, cup game? You know, in Spain, I know they're big in Spain. Yeah, they're, in they're Italy, huge, they? and it's like if there's like a marquee game, so like the Milan derby or something like El Clasico, then then they'll definitely whack out a TIFO. Big Champions League nights, you see them in most places as well. Or if you're the divorcees down at Crystal Palace, I think you basically have one every single weekend. Fathers for Justice. Didn't we? We had one in the Hammy End one year, yeah, we didn't did. we? Like, I remember there was a yeah, big flag. We had, one, we had one when we went down the first time, 2014. Uh, that Kit Simons and Ray Millenstein, you remember that kind of year? Yeah. It was a weird year. Um, we had that, I think... The, in April time when we really needed to get results yeah. I think I think it was Everton and Newcastle um, like that whole game do you remember that when we were 2-0 up and we threw it away and um, I think that was that was the, that was the whole game was it absolutely destroyed yeah. Yeah. I think that was I think know, Shane Long down. scored like with like five minutes to go and that was the quietest I've ever heard the like Craven Cottage mm. ever that's nothing yeah, against mm. the whole fans that had travelled down for that day but it was just one of those like the Pure fans were just in yeah. shock Shutted. about what they had just seen. That, the worst game for me was that the game we played against Cardiff and Cardiff were dreadful, but Peter Whittingham scored like this incredible goal. I don't know if any of you guys remember that. And the cottage was dead silent then as well. You could hear a pin drop and everyone just left the moment it went in. 
Was that the one like where I, Rui scored an absolute worldie as well? Yeah, yeah. It was Rui's, Rui's and Whittingham exchanged worldies. And then there was, I think someone like Craig Bellamy scored their goal. Oh, I think it was, uh, that was in August, wasn't it? That was really early on in the season. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're, you heard it here first. We're accepting any submissions for the Fulham TIFO that we'll, we'll do a whip round for. It would be good fun if we, if we get any sort of, you know... I mean, this season's already been one to shout about, so hopefully there'll be a magic moment that we can latch a TIFO onto. Anyway, let's leave it at that, but don't go anywhere because we're going to be back previewing Thursday's Southwest Six Crunch Derby against the boys in blue. Is this going to be our year? Don't go anywhere. Hello, welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. I'm George Cooper and I'm joined by Farrell Monk. You all right, mate? Yeah, good. Very good. It's been a lovely 45 minutes so far. Live from Canada, Mr. Ben Jarm. It's great to have you on. Hello, mate. It's great to be on. And first league start for Fulhamish, making his pod debut, Mr. <laughs> Young Fred. How you doing? Hello, boys. <laughs> right. Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. I cannot remember the last time I was this excited for a Premier League game at Craven Cottage. They're currently 10th in the league, one less game than us three points behind just got thumped by Man City in the FA Cup yep it's a really good time to play them right Jams oh absolutely I think it's as good a time as any that I can remember in recent history to go out and try and beat Chelsea the only bad thing for us is that we don't have a a striker well we do but it's not the one we want to be on the pitch um Chelsea like they've been in and out this this uh, this season a little bit they've been they hit some form then they lose games they should probably win and then I was looking at BBC Sport today um, for like all the texts coming in of against the Man City game, and someone said that like when they sacked Tuchel and hired Potter is actually a downgrade because they believed that Tuchel was starting to build something bigger, and that Potter is ripping it apart. And I actually think that's quite harsh on Potter. I think he he has a, a style of football that is quite difficult to understand. And I think it's more complex than people actually think, and he tends to use a lot of young players and young players wildly inconsistent from, from week in to week out. And, you know, you'd expect that their older players in the squad, the likes of Jorginho, um, Hakim Ziyech is, is 29, 30 years old. You know, the likes of Thiago Silva, you'd expect them to, to step up and really help support these younger players. But they're just not doing that on a, on a weekly basis. I mean, I think they're there for the taking. I really do. And it's such a shame Mitrovic got the suspension. If I only picked up that second yellow against Leicester, really weird situation there. That Did you, you heard it? We spoke about it on the pods like doesn't, doesn't make an awful lot of sense Freddie you were a toddler the last time Fulham beat Chelsea at Craven Cottage I mean what's the consensus amongst uh, your your uh, your mates your sort of age demographic do you think we can do it everyone's buzzing yeah. everyone is absolutely buzzing I can't wait uh, I was so looking forward to the game on I think it was scheduled for the 12th of September and obviously that got cancelled because of the Queen's death but I like now we now we're going to play them and it's the best time 100% they've got they're on Rizzler paper injuries so many so many big names injured i mean today they were playing youth players at left back and right back and maybe because that's a cup they're going to get a run, they had a run out but yeah i think this could be Potter's last game if we do turn them over and for chelsea i think playing fulham is the worst opponent possible because we're, we're going to be absolutely gagging to beat them. So if we do turn them over, it's going to look a really bad result on them and Potter could get the sack. And I remember on the 12th, we were saying if we beat them then, Tuchel could get the sack. 
So like the amount of managers they've gone through the last few years has been crazy and it just hasn't worked out for Potter, I don't think. I, Chelsea aren't a project club. They don't, they sack managers, they have a quick bounce and they let them go and get someone else in. They're not a project team and Potter's, he was great at Brighton, but that took time as well. It didn't happen overnight. He built a great team and their Brian's manager, I can't remember his name. What's his name? Deserby. Yeah, he's he's come in, left, just carried on with a great form and they're flying as well, as well as us. Yeah, I mean, I was really disappointed when Potter left Brighton to go to Chelsea because it was proof for me, that the only thing that really matters in football these days is cash. You know, Freddie, as you said, he built this incredible Brighton team, put years of graft in, was building a a real kind of, um, you know, legacy there and was finally starting to reap the rewards of all of those years of shrewd signings, um, you know, brilliant tactics and, and setting the team up. And then Chelsea came along and he just ditched it at a drop of a hat. They had a chance to do something, you know, write himself into history books of Brighton and really take the club further than they've ever been before. And just just went as soon as Chelsea came knocking. I would assume that he believed that he could do the same and he was probably sold the dream of, you know, we see you as this long-term project and we want you to replicate the success that you've had at Brighton, but with all the you know financial backing that's available with Chelsea. And they just they just don't do it. Like, Chelsea are a horrible club <laughs> who just chew people up, managers out and spit them out. And like I feel like it was a really poor decision for Potter. And um yeah, I think we could we could really turn the screw if we if we beat him on Thursday. Freddie, what what areas do you think Chelsea are vulnerable? Where could we get at them? What how does Marco Silva set up that, you know, we we set up the side to to beat Chelsea? Well George, they're just not scoring goals. They just they cannot they cannot score. And I think their only saving grace at the moment is Zakaria and Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva brings that experience. He's played so many games for Brazil, PSG in the Champions League as well. Thiago Silva was excellent last year for them as well. But and Zakaria's come in and he's impressed. I've got a few Chelsea Chelsea fans who are mates that they said Zakaria is literally the only shining shining star at the moment for them. Pulisic is so out of form. Ziyech as well. I thought I thought Ziyech would have a real real bounce after that World Cup with Morocco because he was yeah. unbelievable. Took his took his team to the semi-final, first ever African nation to get to the semis in the World Cup. But it ha- he hasn't really hit that form in the World Cup. I think players like that, it it just kind of shows that there's not a real togetherness at Chelsea if Ziyech is so upbeat and happy in the Morocco team and he comes back to Chelsea, he hasn't carried that on. I just don't think the Chelsea dressing room at the moment is like it's pretty bleak. Yeah, I think I, I, would, I would 100% agree with what you said there, Fred. They can't, they can't score, for one, and I think a lot of the players that they brought in this summer just, just haven't really hit the ground running. You look at Raheem Sterling, they spent £48 million on on getting Raheem Sterling in. I think... He fit in so well at City, but Chelsea just don't have a clue what to do with him. They played him right wing, left wing, and right and left wing back. 
know, Kukurea come in, £56 million that was, and they've barely gotten the best out of him. And actually, they probably should have done more with that because he's joined the manager that made him, essentially. And then, you know, Fofana from, from Leicester, um, the likes of Koulibaly as well from Napoli, that's that's over £100 million worth of centre-backs, and they haven't fit in. They've just signed Benoit Bidiashile from Monaco, Two days ago, and that's thirty-five million. You, you, you can't. I don't know whether he, how well he's going to do. Aubameyang hasn't fit. You know, I think they they had under like it pains me to say it because I don't look Abramovich as an owner that much. But they had a project. They had like they had something going for them. They knew what they were trying to build. I think, but under Bowley, they've just spent near on three hundred million, and they've they've gotten worse. They've bought players that don't fit the puzzle. Um, they're putting square pegs in round holes. And unfortunately for Chelsea as well, they don't have two of the best fullbacks in the whole world before them at the moment. They, you know, Reese James is injured consistently and Ben Chilwell hasn't played consistently in nearly a year now. Until they get them back, I, I don't see Chelsea being the force that, that they were. There for the taking. They're there for the taking. Yep. Barrel, were you there in 2006 when Luis Beaumorte's strike earned us a historic victory? I was half expecting you after your comment about Fred being a toddler when he was there. Just say, Farrell, you're a pensioner there picking up your, your concession on your ticket. <laughs> no, I was there. I was there. It was, the first, it was my first ever pitch invasion and thankfully not my last um, <laughs> after, the, after the ones this year. <laughs> Yeah, it was it's such a memorable day. Like I was so pumped for it. I was like cheering. I it, I don't know what it was. There was something about that day that that felt like something was going to happen. Like I was cheering every time there was some sort of misplaced pass or wayward shot from a Chelsea player. I remember like celebrating so hard within like the first 10 minutes when Sean Wright Phillips absolutely ballooned one high and wide. Like it was, it was, it felt like something was happening, especially since like, you know, Chelsea had so many, ch- like not like heart, like a lot of half chances, a couple of good chances, but like they just weren't making the breakthroughs than they had. And then when like Drogba's goal was ruled out for a, for a handball after such a long delay, it just felt like it was our day. It was just such a, it was such a wonderful day. And it was, you know, great to get one over over the neighbours after such a long period of time. Really, it was it was great. Oh. If it happens on Thursday, it force. feels like yeah. I mean, maybe at the time, like yeah, we got one over one over Chelsea, but they're still probably going to win the league. Will be there or thereabouts. But it'd be nice to sort of like, you know, put them down a bit further than they actually are. And be six points ahead of them as well. That would be that would be delicious. I'm so fucking glad that we've stopped loaning players in from them as well. I loved Piazon. He was. He yeah, was, yeah, I like. Yeah, I guess Wayne Brit. Wayne Bridge is one of my favourite ever loan players. Annoyingly, yeah. I tell you what, I don't miss Loftus Cheek. I do not miss Loftus Cheek. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why he's clouded all, all those three aforementioned yeah. players. He's clouded the the opinion of them. I've like completely. I'm half expecting a, a, a rogue article from one of the Fulhamish lot now. The five best and worst loan signings from Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I'm calling for an atmosphere like the one you mentioned in 2006, Val. I want every single wayward pass, every single rose-edge shot, every single foul, just... I want the whole of Craven Cottage. I want it to be the loudest since the Riverside Sanders open, and I'm sure it will be. And we're going to do him. I'm, I'm, I'm nailing my flag to the mask here. We're going to do him on Thursday. Love that. I cannot wait. 
Love that. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we have like scarves or maybe the get get the flags back. Do you remember in Everton we had the scarves? That looks great. On- not the clappers, no. Why? Why don't we actually? Why don't we actually provide Chelsea fans with uh, blue flags, and then we can sing about what they can do with them? Yeah, <laughs> but blue blue flags and a little tub of Vaseline on each uh, on each seat. <laughs> <laughs> right, Farrell. Uh, I think it's time to name this uh, shambles. What are we going to go for? Uh, I mean, I really, really loved Andre's curse your enthusiasm. Uh, but I'm going to have to go for Connor Brady's Don't Stop Believing. Excellent stuff. Nice. Great. Well, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much to all our listeners who got involved with their uh, questions. And yeah, all that's left for me to do is thank Mr. Ben Jarman. Thank you very much, George. Thanks, Farrell. Thanks, Fred. Yeah, Farrell, thanks very much for joining us. And well done, Fred, making his pod debut. Uh, excellent run out, sir. Thank you. Thursday Club is going to be a Friday club this week for obvious reasons. Um, So it's going to be following the Chelsea game on Thursday. But uh, in the meantime, I hope you guys all have a lovely week. And yeah, you whites. Toodles.